Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Upper Room Dallas podcast. This is Michael in this week's message. Uh, we dive into the ministry of reconciliation, specifically conflict resolution with our friends and family, those that uh, we have rubbed with intention. My hope is to practically empower you uh, to engage them in a new way, ultimately bringing deeper intimacy, love, and relationship with those that we have conflict with. So uh, be inspired, be encouraged, hope you take initiative through um, this teaching. Thanks for tuning in. Well, how many of you are just glad that you're here? It was a hard morning to get here, all right? How many of you had a rough morning? I was halfway here. Larissa is in California. She does a girl's trip every year. And I was halfway here and I looked down, I was wearing a white shirt and I had coffee all over my shirt. Because we, we have four kids under eight, and, uh, and like last night, I don't know, they have this radar, I think, when they know mom's not in bed and dad's in bed by himself, but just one by one, like 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m., so by the time it was all said and done, everyone was on the bed, and so I'm just glad to get out the door, and I'm driving up here, and I look down, and I've got coffee, so I went to Target. <laughs> So this shirt is fresh from Target. (laughs) Someone said, I really like your shirt. I said, so do I. (laughs) You're feeling festive this morning. No, it's all Target had. (laughs) So if you're a mother or father and you're just glad you got here, I can relate. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. He's so good to us. Um, well, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, what, what the Lord has in store for us in regards to his word. Uh, I, I'm telling you, um, he's done something in my heart because you have notes. And this is part two, if you look. Part one was last week. This is part two. And not only do you have notes, but you have fill-in-the-blank opportunities. <laughs> What has the Lord done? Oh, man. If you don't come here regularly, this is not regular. Um, we, uh, we, 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 we do preach, and we preach from the Word, but oftentimes it's not quite as organized as this. But I felt like the Lord told me to organize it this way because I want to get extremely practical with you. I feel that one of the ways the Lord wants to undermine, one of the ways the enemy wants to undermine what the Lord is doing is to bring division between us. He wants to divide brothers. He's the accuser of the brethren. So if he can accuse me to you, it will justify distance between us. And that distance leaves room for a lot. (laughs) It leaves room for a lot uh, in you, a lot in me, and a lot for the devil to continue to divide. And let me tell you that that is not God's will for us as his people. The first commandment is to love the Lord our God with the Lord your God, our God, with all of our heart, soul, and mind, we just did that. The first hour was us loving on him, but the response from us loving him is that we rightly love one another. And I'm learning that that is extremely hard. He's much easier to love than you. Like, like I think Peter said it, man. Jesus has never sinned against us. Jesus has never gossiped. Jesus says we've never had a misunderstanding At least if we did, it was on my end and not his. 
I mean, Jesus is pretty easy to love, but when it comes to loving our brethren, we, we need to grow in this activity, but it is so vital because the world is looking at how do we love one another? And I wanna give you practical tools uh, to do that, uh, to do it in your marriage, to do it in your friendships, to do it in those that you're walking with the closest. And last week, we look at uh, Galatians chapter five. So if your Bibles, hop over to Galatians five. Just a quick review for those that weren't here last week. How many of you were not here last week and did not hear the message? Okay. Well, let me, let me just do a quick review for you because you're gonna see a progression in Galatians chapter five. You're gonna see a progression that Paul lays out and it happens to us in a lot of our relationships. The preacher needs to find Galatians though. There it is, Galatians five. So Paul, verse 14, he says this and he's talking about operating in the flesh or operating in the spirit and he hones in on this one thing. It's like, it's like this is the point for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you shall love your brother as yourself. You shall love those that you're doing life with as you love yourself, but if. So the bar is love, the bar is to love one another, but if, and the next verse in verse 15 is contrary to the law. It's contrary to the one thing he's saying that sums up all things, but if, this is contrary to that. But if you bite... And if you devour one another, make sure that you're not consumed by one another. And, and these three words really uh, left off the page a couple of months ago. And I started processing this personally because I saw this play out in some relationships in my life. I saw these three things happen. And it is a progression. First, it starts with a bite. From biting, we then begin to devour. And the word for devour in the Greek actually means to chew. And as you begin to chew, then ultimately you consume or you digest or destroy that relationship. And so biting means this. If you bite someone, tell me if you've ever had this happen to you, you bite, it means that you're wounded in your soul. It means to cut or lacerate or to rend with reproaches. I think of this, I think of like a paper cut. How many of you have ever paper cuts? Terrible, like terrible. The littlest cut, Yet you put the littlest amount of pressure on that cut and it's excruciating pain, am I right? And what the Bible says is that we do this to one another, that we bite one another. How many have ever been bitten? <laughs> oh, come on. If you're alive and you have a heartbeat and you speak the English language, you have been bitten by someone. How many of you have been bitten? Come on, let's, let's be honest. And when you're bitten, it hurts. And I want you to know that healthy relationships, people that have functional, like healthy, whole, Holy Ghost filled relationships, you still can hurt one another. There's a myth out there that if you're filled with God and complete with God, that I can live where you can't hurt me. It's not true. And if it's true for you, then you're insulating or protecting your heart from that pain because listen, even the Holy Ghost gets grieved by things that you do. The Holy Ghost, God Almighty has chosen to make himself so available to you that you do things that grieve him. And that word for grieve means to be vexed. And in some translations, it actually means he can be tormented. He can be twisted by your actions. He's moved by you. 
Now, when he's moved, he's not like wounded and goes to a corner and hides and sucks his thumb and is like, I can't believe you did that. That's not how he responds. But in your behaviors, in the things that you do, in the things that you say, he responds to that. In healthy relationships, there's give and take. In healthy relationships, we impact one another. And inevitably, because we are all fallen, (laughs) because you got issues, I got issues, you got imperfections, I got imperfections, those imperfections hurt our hearts. They hurt our souls. We lacerate each other. We're biting one another. <laughs> My one year old, it's his only defense, man. He's got a seven year old, a six year old, and a two year old. And he has learned the one way to defend himself are his teeth. <laughs> and listen, when he bites, when he bites, the entire house knows it because you scream bloody murder. <laughs> he, he is like, <laughs> when he wants something. And man, he, has draw, he drew blood on dad not too long ago. And dad was not happy. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I still feel the pain. I was just screaming bloody murder. Larissa thought I had like severely been wounded and I had. But you know, I'm like, "Ah, honey, take the kid. You know, like I am just frustrated. But listen, listen, we do that to each other. We do that to each other. Specifically those that are closest to us. Your spouse can hurt you. Your spouse will hurt you. And that doesn't mean that you have a lesser marriage than anyone else. The key is how do you process that hurt? How do you process that cut? What do you do when you're cut? That's where the golden rule comes into play. That's, where, that's like where the rubber meets the road for our faith is when we're cut by our spouses, when we're cut by our friends, when we're cut by our brothers, when we're cut by our leaders, when we're cut by our coworkers, when we're cut by those people, what is our response? Because listen, your flesh has a default. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, here's the golden rule. You can live by the spirit or you can live by the flesh. It's up to you. You have a choice. Just because the Holy Spirit lives in you doesn't mean you're above your flesh. You gotta choose to crucify that nature when you don't want to. And when you're bitten, it's the last thing you wanna do. When you're bitten, you wanna walk into justification and start building a case. You start rationaling how they're imperfect and why they did what they did. And if only they could see what you see. And you start building a case and the Bible calls that chewing. You go from biting to chewing. Biting to chewing. And we laid out that process last week. And my goal today is to like put a a do not enter or road close sign that when you're bitten, you'll take the way of the spirit by responding differently than starting to chew. Because when you start to chew, you start to internally close your heart off, build a case up, and inevitably you bring a friend along that starts pointing at that person. The Bible calls this sin because it's gossip. You start triangulating. You get a group of people. Then you're framing how they view that person. And man, it divides the body of Christ. Churches have been split over this. Nations have gone to war over this because there's power of life and death in your tongue. And the way that you respond to one another, we've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost in this. The world outside, go to your social media feed right now and there's people biting, chewing, devouring, ultimately consuming one another. It's why a house divided cannot stand. Come on. (laughs) An upper room, we are young, 
full of zeal, full of passion, but I want us to live in right standing before the Lord in how we love one another. And I wanna fight for you and I wanna fight for the heart of this church that we respond differently to one another when, everyone say when, we bite one another. Listen, you get close to me, my teeth are sharp. Seriously. I'm looking around, I'm, I'm like, I've already seen a half dozen people I've bitten. But how we respond in those moments, it's so, 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 so crucial. So we bite, we begin to chew, and ultimately we devour. Uh, Matthew chapter five, verse nine, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be sons or daughters of God. They're children of God. Listen, I want you to know, as a son and daughter of God, you're called to make peace. Make peace. And oftentimes, I wanna give you seven keys to, to resolving conflict. And so as a peacemaker, when there's conflict, we need to acquire skills so that we can engage people relationally and the fruit of that is peace between us where there's tension, friction, and rub. We're called to be bearers of peace. But I don't know about you, but I, I, just, I just have never, I, like in college, there wasn't a class for conflict resolution. I, I, I've never like, I've very, very few people have, 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 have taught lessons on this. And last weekend I said, raise your hand if you do not like confrontation. And at least 60% of the room raised their hand. Raise your hand if you genuinely like confrontation scares you. Confrontation, like you don't like it, you don't want it. Raise your hand high. Okay, so it's still about 50% today. And so our default is not when we're bitten to go to that person and go, hey, I wanna talk to you about that. That's not our default. That's not natural to us. The, the tendency for us is, is, to, is to pull away. For some of us, we, we just appease. Some of us avoid. Some of us um, get angry. That we have ways of responding passive aggressively. We have these defaults that we go to, and the Bible would define that as you responding in the flesh. And that does not bring peace. That brings division. And the longer that conflict sits between two people, husband, wife, the longer it sits between two friends, the more divided you get. There is no neutral ground. There's not. And so I wanna equip us today to really get after like, man, when there's conflict that we would see an opportunity to be led by the spirit to bring reconciliation and peace between those relationships so that we can function differently as a body and a community that has received a love that is the answer for that reconciliation, amen? You following me? Romans 12, 17 and 18, it says this, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. If possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace. Go to 18. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you meaning you have to do your part. As long as it depends upon you, you're, you're going to bring peace to that relationship. I want you to know this morning, starting out, you are a powerful person. 
No matter what's happened to you in this room, because you're born again, you're a son and daughter of God, you now are powerful. The world, relationships, people, circumstance will attempt to make you feel powerless. But this morning, my goal is to equip you to be a powerful person, to not be a victim to what's happened in the past, but you to see that the victor lives in you and his name is Jesus. And Jesus has the ability to equip you to be a powerful person that no matter what someone has said to you, done to you, no matter how they treat you, no matter their perspective of you, you can walk at peace internally, not affected by them and be a bearer of peace to them if the Lord will orchestrate that. But you today sitting in this room can be at peace because you're powerful. You're powerful. Your heart can be whole. Your heart can be established. I feel the Lord this morning. So listen, before I get to my seven points, I gotta give you three, three. Three reasons why this is so important. The problem with unresolved conflict, the problem with you not dealing with conflict in your marriage and your friendships and your relationships, you're just letting it go. The problem is this, point one. It blocks my fellowship with God. It blocks my fellowship with God. I'm gonna prove that to you in scripture, but just think about that point for a second. You having unresolved conflict with a brother, you having unresolved conflict with a spouse, it hinders relationship, blocks relationship, fellowship with God. First John chapter four, verse 19. In order to show you this point, I need to lay a foundation for you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. This is a scripture you're very familiar with, but it says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Cause and effect. The cause is him loving you. The effect is that you love other people. The love that you're called to bear to that person, the love that you're called to bear to a spouse, to a friend, the love that you're called to bear in that place of conflict is a love that you're not producing. It's a love that you've actually received. You can't do this on your own. Your source for this is a love outside of yourself, but it's a love that engaged you in a conflict. This love found you cut off an enemy. You weren't reconciled to God, but God did something about it and he came to you in his love and he demonstrated that love. He didn't just say, I love you. No, 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 no. He took that love and he embodied it and he hung on a cross bearing your sin, shame, guilt, your mess. He became like you so you could become like him. And the Bible says that he was demonstrating love to you. And when you see that love in his approach to you, it fuels your approach to other people. It's a motivating force. But it says this, it says, we love. Everyone, I, I, I like this one that we're really familiar with. We love, you love. If you're born again, you love, why? Because you've been loved. Then it says this in verse 20, it says, it says, but if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, this is a born again person. Hates his brother means there's enmity, conflict, division, despise, heart shut down towards them. If I say my heart's open to God, but my heart's closed off to my brother, the Lord says you're lying. 
For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Meaning, the evidence of your love for God is in your love for your brother. And I believe the revelation that you have of his love for you is the love that you demonstrate to those around you. But this is not easy. This is not like put on a coffee mug, we love because God loved. Brother, I just love you because God loved me. No, 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 no. His love was violent. His love overcame every offense. His love, he was betrayed. He was wrong. He was slapped. He was spit upon. He was punched. And yet he said, I'm going to embody love. So when you're slapped, spit upon, and punched, I'm going to fight to understand this love that I've received. So I want to demonstrate that to others. And this is the commandment, verse 21, and this is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. So loving God and loving your brother. You cannot have fellowship with him and hate your brother. And if there is hatred, enmity, division, strife, contention that's unresolved and your heart's locked down, it hinders your relationship with the Lord. Paul actually commissions in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Do y'all like the Bible? You don't get the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Familiar verse for us. Verse 14. For the love of Christ, this is the love we've been talking about. The love of Christ compels us, controls us. The love of Christ is our source and motivation. Having concluded that Jesus died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all so that those who live may no longer live for themselves. But for Jesus, for him who died and rose again on their behalf, therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. This is an important verse. We recognize no one according to the flesh because when we're bitten, we wanna respond in the flesh. But the goal and the tools that I wanna give you hopefully will take you out of the flesh so that you're not judging that person according to their flesh, but you're judging them by their created value. And you can begin to see maybe even what they don't see. And the Lord would give you perspective. We're not going to judge according to the flesh. We're not gonna judge according to what we see. We've been given new eyes. We've been given a new operating system to respond differently than in the flesh. We are now sons and daughters of the spirit. And the Bible says, continuing, even though that we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The, the context for you being a new creature, new creation is in the context of reconciliation. Because from this place, he's gonna move into this word, reconciliation. And in three verses, he's gonna use the word four times. So as new creations, new things have come. Verse 18, now all things are from God. God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, meaning God confronted you in your mess and he reconciled you in your mess and he brought you in based on his initiative. And he's saying, listen, the way that I initiated you, I'm giving you this ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them. The way he reconciled you to him is he did not count your sins against you. So this is like point one of how to reconcile. We've got to forgive. Not holding trespasses against them. He committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are in the business of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? This is a, 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 a book I was reading and I feel like this gives good context for what the word reconciliation means. The word, uh, the word group that relates to reconciliation, so when it's used in the New Testament, it's exclusively Pauline within the New Testament, meaning Paul's the one that uses it. Most scholars regard reconciliation as the leading theme or center of Paul's thought and ministry. So the epistles that Paul wrote, reconciliation's at the center of it. Basically, the Greek word reconciliation means exchange, especially of money or merchandise. In the original context, the original writings that it was found on, it's used most often of the, the changing of money from one currency into another. Metaphorically, it denoted the exchange or substitution of peace for war, of love for anger, or of friendship for enmity. As a Pauline theological term depicting in the relationship of God with humans, reconciliation denotes a transformation of relations in the sense that friendly relations now replace the former hostility. Reconciliation restores humans to a proper relationship with God and with fellow human beings. Just as sin produced in humans a twofold alienation from God and other human beings, now the spirit results in slaying that animosity and the termination of the hostility. This is what I wanted you to see. The need for reconciliation is the absence of harmony and the presence of hostility between God and humans that is caused by human sin. So where there's disharmony in your relationships, you have been equipped now to be a minister of reconciliation or a minister of peace to that relationship so there can be harmony just like there's harmony between you and the Lord. Does this make sense? So knowing reconciliation, knowing it's the love that compels us, Matthew chapter five, verse 21 and 22, again, it hinders fellowship with God. It hinders the love that he's given us flowing out of us. Matthew 5, 21 and 22 says this. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, if you're coming to church, <laughs> And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be what? What's that word? Therefore, if you are present, leave your offering therefore before the altar and go first in what? Be reconciled. Meaning the, the, the greatest expression of worship is reconciliation. If you're coming in here and you're not reconciled with someone and you remember that at the altar, it's better that you not be in this service and you walk out those doors and you find reconciliation than you singing, Jesus, I love you. Like that's a great call to worship. That's the importance of it. It, it hinders your fellowship with the Lord, that conflict, that rub. It does say to leave your offering. That's, that's why we put the boxes by the door. So 
Just drop that thing in and then go correct out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But reconciliation, like, like reconciliation, when we're wronged, when we're wronged, we don't get offended. When we're wronged, we forgive. When we're bitten, we don't bite back. When we're slapped, we don't slap back. It's not eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We have a, we have a source in us that does not directly respond to those things. We're reconciling the world. I had, I had a, a powerful example of this um, happen yesterday. There was an insurance adjuster that uh, called me, and she was 10 days late calling me. Uh, we have our house for sale in Oak Cliff, and <laughs> I love my neighborhood that I moved out of, but, but week one, uh, my neighbors, I guess they knew I was moved out, but they decided to, someone, don't know if it was my neighbor, but someone uh, decided to steal my AC air compressor. Like the big air compressor that's outside your home, you know, the big one that's about this tall and that wide, someone hacked mine up and carried it off. I couldn't believe it. Like, who does that? It was my AC. And so we were, we were under contract, and the inspector, like, finds it, and it, it became a big issue for the contract, and the contract actually fell through. So I call my, ACE, my insurance company, and it took this adjuster 10 days to call me back. It was a long time for a claim. She calls me yesterday, and she's real distressed. She goes, I just, Mr. Miller, uh, I'm so-and-so from Florida, and, and I just wanted to tell you from the beginning, I've dropped the ball. This case has been in my uh, desk, and I have not called you. I hope no one's hot. Like, she didn't know that we weren't living there, but she just starts saying all these things, apologizing. She was expecting a response from me. So I said, I didn't say anything. I just kind of waited and let silence after she was done, and then she said, she said the reason why. She said, my mom on Monday was uh, diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I was like, oh. I mean, I was kind of in my flesh just a little bit, you know, like, I'm glad she's acknowledging that. Uh, really, I wasn't. I was, I was, I was like totally fine. But, but, but when she said that, like compassion filled my heart. And I said, I said, hey, listen, I, I just want you to know it's okay. Like, I'm not mad. But, but I want you to know that, um, that, that I know a man. <laughs> I know a man. And I'm thinking he's reconciled me to him. How can I reconcile this woman? to the man in light of what she's facing. So I just start, hey, you know a man, he, I've seen him do it once, twice, a few times, and I feel like he could do it in your mom's life, but he's a healer. Not only is he a healer, but, but he's one that bears peace and compassion for you. And I start telling her the gospel. We pray, she's like, thinking she's gonna get one response from me, but she gets a different response because she met someone that was filled with a source outside of himself named Holy Ghost. We're reconcilers, we're ambassadors of that. Amen? It's fellowship with him leads others into fellowship as well. So it hinders your fellowship with God if you are in this place and you have an issue with someone, I want you to take action today for your sake. Number two, it hinders my prayers. <clears throat> it hinders my prayers. In 1 Peter chapter three, Peter had revelation about this that when there's strife or contention in a marriage, he actually writes to husbands. 
Oh, this one, this one's gonna get near and dear. But he says this, he says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live. She may be the weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Meaning, if you're causing division, strife, you shut down, persecuting your bride, not loving her as you've been loved, the Bible says that your prayers or your communication to the Lord is hindered. It's blocked. That's convicting. We may need to pray about that. <laughs> and if your prayers are hindered and your relationship with the Lord is hindered, it definitely hinders or blocks your joy and your happiness. So the reason I wanted to say that is because unresolved conflict will affect your life. They may not be in your life personally. You see them, but the residue and remain of that relationship you'll carry throughout the rest of your relationship. And it can hinder the fullness of joy and fulfillment of destiny, unresolved conflict and pain from years past. My grandmother, I gave that example last week. She lived in resentment, bitterness, and anger towards her husband who had been dead for over 40 plus years. But she carried him. He's dead, decayed, gone. 94, we're having to write a letter to him so that she can get her heart free. But she did not live in joy. She did not live a happy life. She lived shut down, broken, angry, bitter. And I never had a relationship with her because of that. That's a lame thing. And so we gotta deal with the issues so we can experience life and life abundantly. Amen? Very pastoral word. All right, so I got 20 minutes left. I'm very aware of that. And I have seven points to give you in 20 minutes. I'm so excited about this. So seven keys. By the way, I got a lot of good materials from Danny Silk. So if you don't know Danny Silk, write that name down. And then I think Rick Warren has a lot of good stuff on... Uh, relational confrontation and conflict. So I give you these two names as, uh, as, as, as people to, to look to. So seven keys to resolving relational conflict. And it is relational. It's people that you're in relationship with. It's loving those that you're in relationship with. Like your neighbor is not this. I, I can love the person that serves me today. It's like I can love my waiter very well. One, they're serving me. <laughs> two, I see them for about 20 minutes. And we call that loving our neighbor. We, we do that well. We do drive-by love very well. But this is relational conflict, people that we're actually walking with, people we're doing life with. I think we love to contextualize our faith and say, well, I love that stranger really, really well. I gave 10 bucks to the homeless guy. I prayed for the person at Target. I, I can do that to the stranger, but this thing has to grow legs in our daily relationships. Those that we're walking with day in and day out, it has to be practical in those places. If not, man, <laughs> the Bible has a word for us. It's hypocrite. Let's not, let's not confess one thing and do something else in our relationship. Let's really allow the truth of his word to penetrate our heart and penetrate our relationship so that we can walk like we can't walk without the Holy Spirit's guidance. You follow me? So point number one, you gotta take initiative. Take initiative. Take initiative. You've gotta do something. I think by default, oftentimes we don't want to do anything. 
It's like the last thing we wanna do is to face it. But in taking initiative, you have to make the first move. Many of us, we don't want to make the first move. We're putting that on them. But as believers, we have to take initiative. We have to take the first move. Again, it's his love that compels us and his love took the first move for you. It was mighty and big. It was bold. It was daring. He came. He did not passively wait for you to call upon him. He did all that needed to be done for you to be restored so that when you looked, it was his kindness that led you to repentance, to embrace his love and his work. How should our response be any different? Our response needs to be similar to his uh, approach to us. And so we love because he loved, we initiate because he initiates. Rick Warren talks about two types of people in relationships when conflict hits. He says there's turtles and there's skunks. <laughs> turtles hide. Conflict hits, wounding, you get bitten and all of a sudden your head goes into your shell and you start insulating. On the outside, you look fine, but you are buried on the inside. You are hiding, you don't wanna talk about it, you don't wanna face it, time is going to take care of this. Let me tell you this, relationally, time heals nothing. It's a myth, time does not heal. Initiative heals, taking care of things heal. Listen, if time healed all things, <laughs> if you got shot and I walked up and I was like, hey, listen, time will heal that, no! You're gonna take initiative. You're gonna go and do something about it. You're sitting in the waiting room and the doctor comes out and he's like, come on in, no, 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 I'm just gonna wait here because me waiting in here actually heals this. It's not true, it's a myth. So we can't hide, we can't like get in a shell. We've got to figure out what's going on internally, be honest with ourselves about the conflict and then we've got to do something. Skunks, you know it when there's conflict because they stink up everything. They do, they're, they're gonna let you know it. And they're probably gonna let you know it in some twisted, weird way, not directly. They're probably gonna be fairly passive and aggressive. They'll do it by being distant. You just feel this distant, this, wait, wait what's off? There's not harmony here. There's supposed to be harmony and there's not harmony here. Like there's distance. What, what, what is that? Uh, another thing that you get, uh, uh, is de defensiveness, <laughs> right? Like out of insecurity, you just get defensive towards that person. They got these walls built up. We get demanding. We start to, 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 to start to press and start to push. So to say that hurt me and I'm gonna keep you at distance by being demanding because insecurity demands some type of response. And I'm telling you, we need a biblical Holy Spirit led response to these things. Hiding or hurling does not help. The number one reason we don't take initiative, the number one reason is because of fear. We don't want to take initiative because we're scared. Someone took initiative this week. They had written me a letter. It's someone very near and dear to me in my life. They had written me a letter and before they read this letter to me, we were in the car. They said, listen, I am scared to read this to you. They were being very honest with me. And I said, why are you scared? They said, I'm scared that you're gonna reject me. And I just like broke my heart because I've never done that to this person. I'm not gonna do it to this person. And I said, I want you to know when you read this letter, you're not powerless. When you read this letter, you're reading, it, you're reading it as one who's very powerful because you're communicating to me in power 
how you're experiencing me in your relationship. And I want you to know that someone on the other side driving this car is powerful and I'm filled with God's love for you. And I want to humbly hear what you have to say and how I'm showing up in your world. I want to own that, repent of it, and I want to be a better friend, brother, and leader. And all of a sudden he just breaks, you know, and he's reading the letter and it wasn't even about what he said. Like what he said wasn't even that big a deal. But the connection and flow that we have was. But he took initiative and I was so grateful for him because he could have closed his heart off, become a turtle, made up a narrative, started chewing me out, started to create distance, not realizing I have no idea how I'm showing up in the relationship. It could be the fact that I'm managing a lot. It could be the fact that I have four kids. It could be the fact that whatever could be the fact, but he doesn't really know that, but he's making up this narrative and chewing me up. And before we know it, we've gone weeks, months, and now years, and I'm over here, he's over here, and I'm way, way over there. And this chasm has been created because there's one bite. You know what I'm saying? This is how relationships go. And so I was so grateful that he acknowledged his fear of rejection. Fear is a powerful force. I shared this last night. There was an MMA fighter that I was uh, uh, in relationship with. This is like 10 years ago. Bad Mama Jamba. Like he was an MMA fighter. He wore the tights, show up in a ring, and he boxed another dude until one of them would drop to the ground, uh, like out bloody beaten, I'd meet him and he'd like have a black eye and like, man, you've been working hard, you know, like, it's just crazy. But you put him in a room with his wife and his wife says, we need to talk. <laughs> you know, he's like, shut down. I don't want to go there. I, I ain't going to let you in here because he's scared. He's scared. He's scared of what's inside of there. He's insulated. You know, initiative oftentimes hindered because we're pretending not to know certain things. What are you pretending not to know in your relationships? What are you pretending? What are you hiding behind? Listen, the, th the way to get over fear, I'm gonna really hit these first couple because if these first couple are in, the last will hit. The way to overcome fear, it's the biblical prescription for it. If there's fear, there's one way to get rid of fear and it's love. We, we sometimes preach that like love and fear are two competing things. Listen, love and fear, there is no competition. Love is so much stronger than fear. Love will remove fear like that. I'll give you a perfect example. Let's say that uh, somehow this wall caught on fire right now. This dry old wood caught on fire and it caught on quick. We will be bursting out the doors. You'd be making sure you got your loved ones, and all of a sudden this room's filled with smoke and flames. Everyone's leaving for fear of the fire and their life, and rightfully so. But when you get outside those doors and you realize, oh my God, my two-year-old is inside the building, the love that you have for your two-year-old will be so much greater, higher than the fear of the fire in this building. You're gonna run into the burning building because love's a greater motivation than fear. And some of us, we need to acknowledge that we've been driven by fear and we need to taste God's love for that person so that we can be motivated to run back into that dilapidated, beat up, condemned relationship. Because God has purposes and destiny for it. And the Holy Spirit loves broken, dilapidated things. He loves to come and manifest new life in those things for his glory and his renown. Ask Lazarus. Am I right? So we gotta take initiative. When you practically take initiative with the person, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you 
this is like step three, but, but do it with wisdom. Tell them what you wanna talk about. Say, actually tell them, frame the conversation. Hey, I wanna talk to you about our relationship. I'm processing some things in my heart and I wanna share my heart with you. Tell them before you go. Don't, don't side swipe them. Then, then be strategic about the time and the place. And then, and, then, and then take initiative when you come to that meeting. Meaning, don't beat around the bush, hop to it. Uh, did you know that the first three minutes of a confrontation determine the outcome? How you start will determine how you finish. And I'm gonna give you some key ways to start, but I just want you to know you've gotta take initiative, you've gotta be purposeful, and you've gotta lay things out very, very directly. Don't beat around the bush and hope that they read between the lines. Are you following me? So, so you gotta take initiative, and then, and then the first way we take initiative isn't necessarily going to them. We've got to bring... We've got to bring the person and the problem. So bring into the presence of God. This is point number two. I'm gonna go quicker than I did on number one. Bring into the presence. And I was gonna say pray, but, but I think sometimes we pray and we pray from our soul. And that's, that's not a bad way to pray, but I want to get your soul subjected to the spirit so that you can hear from Holy Spirit. Prayer is an exchange. Prayer isn't just you railing, twisting God's arm. Well, I've been praying about it. I've been praying about it. I've been praying about it, but you ain't been changed. And when you pray in the spirit, yes, pray in tongues, but when you pray in the spirit and the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will impart. The Holy Spirit will renew. The Holy Spirit will frame. The Holy Spirit will reveal. The Holy Spirit will guide. The Holy Spirit will set free in truth your ability to see them differently because the Holy Spirit Spirit ain't living, shut down, wounded. The Holy Spirit's coming inside of you to deal with how you're shut down, to deal with how you've been wounded so that you're empowered to initiate that relationship in a fresh and whole way. You following me? So you wanna get into the presence. You wanna, you wanna, I could give you biblical examples. In John 20, the disciples were turtling. They were shut down, closed off, and Jesus shows up and Jesus breathes upon them and they began rejoicing because the presence of God met them in their fear, met them in their state of being condemned, shut down, afraid for their lives. And all of a sudden they became the boldest, baddest dudes in Jerusalem because the presence of God hit them. We need an outpouring of God's presence upon problems and people out there, but we've got to start having it in here in our own relationships. Like I think we're crying out for an outpouring and the Lord's saying, I'm pouring my spirit out upon your marriage. I'm pouring my spirit out upon your friendships. I'm pouring my spirit out, hoping that you'll respond so so that reconciliation and love can exist so that when I do pour the Holy Spirit out on a city, the people that come, they see true love abiding and being exchanged between brothers and sisters. Are you following me? So crucial. So we need the presence of the Lord. Uh, the homosexual community, I pastored in it for almost uh, six years. And I was amazed at how many evangelicals would call me and be like, hey, dude, I hear you like, like, you've planted a church in the homosexual community. Like, wow, I, I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a friend or I've got uh, someone that goes to my church that just came out online. I remember one dude had this vicious conversation happening on Facebook. Thousands of people are commenting. You have the evangelical guy and his op, op, uh, apologetics team was helping him articulate arguments and then this guy had a whole team and they're articulating and it's playing out on Facebook. So he came to me like, maybe you have a key. And I looked at him and I was like, hmm, something ain't right with this approach <laughs> in my heart. And I just asked him this one question. I said, have you wept for him? Have you wept? What? Have you wept? Have tears come out of your eyes for this person? No, just stop. 
Just stop. Just stop. And fast and pray. Get in God's presence. Get, your, get his heart for this guy. And then respond and watch what happens. I never heard back from him. But I feel like we're, sometimes we take initiative, but it's not from the place of the presence. Some of you, if you take, some of you can't take initiative because they're out of your life or you don't have the type of relationship where you can have like a heart-to-heart Holy Ghost meeting. Um, I remember there were some guys that were uh, absolutely just, I don't know if defaming me would be the right word, but they were, they were ridiculing me, undermining me because of my theology. Other pastors, we were in this meeting. I was like the token charismatic guy and they did not agree with with what we were doing. And they would just make comments, snarky comments. It was a hard, 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 hard season. And, um, and I, I came into the presence of the Lord and I was like, Lord, these two guys, man, I just, I want you to take them out. You know, like, I was just like, I'm just like honest. Hey, and you can be honest, you can be honest. Cause he's like, no son, I'm not gonna take them out. I'm gonna take you out. You know, like, I'm gonna kill you. I'm using them to kill you. And I'm like, okay, bang, I'm dead. And, uh, and so like, I learned to die. But, but in this process, the Lord then took me to a place. He gave me this vision of them. And I saw these two guys. And I saw them as five-year-old boys. And they were walking up to me in oversized tank tops. And they were doing this to me. And I realized that's the Lord's view of what they're doing. And it disarmed my heart from being offended, being frustrated, and all of a sudden I had his heart for them. And the next time I was in a meeting and one of them called me a heretic. That's a big claim. My heart. That's what I saw. And I just like bubbled up in joy. Like, Lord, thank you for doing that. If I had not had that encounter from the presence, man, I would have manifested in my flesh. Ah! You know, like... You wanna go outside, bro? <laughs> I'll show you, you know? I, I like, that's, that's, that's the flesh response, but that's not what we're called to do. So we've gotta get into the presence of the Lord. When we come to that person, I realize I have two minutes to do four points, so I'll be quick. Hey, when we come into the presence of that person, listen, we, we've set up the time, we're showing up. We initially, we wanna frame the conversation, tell them uh, why you're meeting, and then you want to immediately take ownership. Own you. You gotta own you. Listen, you can't control them. You can't make them see what you see. You can only own you. You frame the conversation, the desired outcome, and then you start where you can and you start with yourself. What we wanna do is we want to accuse them and excuse ourselves. We wanna accuse them and then excuse us out of it. And that is a zero. No matter if it's 99.9999999% their issue, you can figure out a way to take the .0001. And it's called humility. It's coming in low. It's coming in disarmed. It's coming in saying, listen, here's what I can own in our relationship. And, and, and that humility gets humility. Here's questions that I ask. Am I being unrealistic? Am I being ungrateful? Am I insensitive? Am I oversensitive? Am I too demanding? I have to start with my side of the conflict. You need to do this in your marriage. The number one reason for divorce is incompatibility. Did you know that? It's people that are incompatible to one another. And it's, it's actually a term that divorce lawyers made because incompatibility means we have differences. And, and ultimately what it means is I wasn't willing to, 
to own me, you weren't willing to own you, and we decided we weren't going to choose love in the midst of this. The number one way for you to have a functioning marriage is to mature and own you in your marriage. Own how you show up. The number one sustaining like foundation for my marriage, my wife has modeled this, is if there's issues, and typically they're 99.9999% on me, she finds the 0.001% for herself, and she comes, and she comes in low. And every time she does, it melts my heart. Oh my God, I was supposed to be doing that. And there's connection and intimacy. I wanna teach men a, a phrase, this'll change your marriage. Honey, you can write this down. Honey, I'm being selfish and I'm making it about me. Bam. What'd you say? <laughs> Honey, I'm, you can like get it out on your phone. Honey, I'm being selfish and I'm making it about me. What'd you say? Honey. <laughs> yeah, keep repeating it. Like, repeat it one more time. Like that acknowledgement, that ownership, it disarms the conflict. Like it totally disarms the conflict. We gotta learn to own us. So as you're owning you, then you pause with you and you stop. And point number four is you listen to understand. Start asking questions. James 1.19, it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Many of us are angry because we're talking too much and we're not listening. Listen, let me show you the love organs of a relationship. The love organs are your eyes and your ears. If you're looking and listening, you're loving. Looking and listening is loving. Looking and listening is loving. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. It'll be 19 years in August. And I am amazed at how poorly people listen. The number one thing for me is just being an ear and asking questions. And when I start asking the right questions, I can get your heart flowing and going and you're vomiting and I will not say anything and you'll leave and you're like, Miller is the greatest friend and pastor ever. I didn't do anything. All I did was just listen. People want to be heard. And when you come to that conflict, you can begin asking questions. And listen, as you're asking questions, you know you. You know how, where you're coming from. You know what you're bringing. When you're asking questions, all of a sudden, you can start filling in blanks and information. And not only are you equipped to reconcile from your standpoint, but as you're asking questions, you learn where they're at. And you are very empowered to start moving forward in the same direction. Because you're a powerful person. Are you following me? You didn't know upper room could be this practical, did you? Oh man, I got too much. Philippians 2 says, don't look to your own interests, but look to the interest of others, not considering yourself, but consider others more important. That word for look is scopios. It's, it's where we get microscope. We want to microscope the other person. We want to look intently at them. When we're looking and listening to wounded people, I believe it's one of the ways we're most like Jesus. Listening, paying attention. Empathy is one of the most powerful expressions of love. So when you're sitting with that person, you're listening to understand, you're empathizing with them, and you're looking for the pain. You're looking for the emotion in their words. You're looking past. Oftentimes, they, it's just not natural to us, and so we want to discern by the Holy Spirit, where's their pain? How have I caused that? What can I own? How can I help administer grace and love and reconciliation in that pain? I wanna have ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you're speaking through them as I'm asking these questions. Most of us don't ask enough. Empathy, it's so powerful. And then verse number five, you speak the truth. Speak the truth. Come, come with truth, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when you say it, it's gently 
It's what and how. In John 12, 49, Jesus said this. Jesus said, uh, my father teaches me. This is such a powerful text. I've prayed this as a communicator of the gospel. I've prayed this since I was 22. I read this in my old NIV Bible. It's not in the new translations. They've actually changed it. But in John 12, verse 49, Jesus said this. The father teaches me what to say, which is awesome. But he doesn't only teach me what to say. He teaches me how to say it. Think about that. It wasn't just what Jesus said, it was how he said it. You can say the right thing the wrong way and it will cause damage. Look at the guys on the street sign with signs condemning people. You know, like evangelism. They can be saying the right thing that's in scripture, but it's just the wrong way. So it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. So we wanna come in gentle, tender. Uh, Galatians 6 says that we uh, gently, uh, soberly, tenderly uh, restore those caught in sin looking to ourselves. So we want to... Be aware of how we're saying words. Proverbs 12, 18, it says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue is wise and brings healing. Number six, uh, fix, this is a big one. Fix the problem, not the blame. Fix the problem, not the blame. Use your energy on fixing the problem. The blame is not the point. We're not trying to figure out who's to blame for the problem. The goal is to fix the problem. The number one issue in marriages when it comes to problems is we start adhering blame. Like truthfully, we, we start the blame game. Well, well, this problem is your fault. And then the problem is secondary to the blame. I've watched, like, like I've watched couples, they get so polarized looking for the blame, they're not worried about the problem. It's the next problem, it's finances, it's the kids, it's scheduling. These problems mount up, but all they're worried about is who's to blame in this. And then they get a jury of peers and pastors, then they get friends, and they start to, to develop these two corners where they're to blame for all of this. No, 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 no. They're to blame for all of this. And before you know it, the division gets wider and wider and wider. And the only way to reconcile who's to blame is you have to hire a lawyer who will associate the blame. And guess what? They're right and they're right. But the family's destroyed because two people wouldn't start focusing on problems together. They were fixating the blame. It's a zero. The blame game is a zero. No one, <laughs> who cares who's to blame? Let's fix problems. In my marriage, finances has been a big issue in our previous seasons. And what would happen is because I was in ministry and not making money and Larissa's working, oftentimes she would get frustrated with me because I wasn't selling insurance, but I was pastoring people. And we would have red in the account. And like I said last night, I remember one time we were going to get donuts. And like, I want a sprinkled donut. She's like, no, we're gonna get the holes. Holes are cheaper than the sprinkled. I mean, we were pretty desperate. And... Uh, and, and all of a sudden, going to the donut store erupts into this issue of, well, ministry, and, 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 and then I feel guilty, and, and we just start this blame game based on donuts. And, and the, issue, the issue isn't me and ministry. The issue isn't, is it my fault that we're not making money? The issue is money. It's money. And so we need a right, proactive response to the problem. And so what we did is we scheduled it, we invited counsel, and we didn't have these like 
guerrilla warfare moments in our marriage where it's like it sneaks up on us and takes us out. But we planned it and said, honey, I know that you wanna talk about finances right now, but we're actually gonna talk about it Tuesday at seven because we've scheduled it and we're gonna fix the problem Tuesday at seven because this is the problem and it's a scheduled problem now. You and I are gonna approach that table together and we're gonna look at it because the problem's the problem. You're not the problem, I'm not the problem, the problem is. But when the problem becomes the person, that's where division happens. And man, we have civil wars happening in our families because they're to blame and they won't stop. You with me? So good. You need an objective approach to your problems. Is it finances, kids, career schedule, workload? Define the problem and then get a proactive plan. Stop fixing your eyes on the, uh, fixing blame and focus on the problem. Number seven and I'm done. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Reconciliation is a reestablishing relationship. Resolution means you're gonna solve every problem and you're not gonna solve every problem in your relationships. There will be disagreements and disagreements are okay. Resolution will never fully be possible often times. Reconciliation is about establishing the relationship um, people that I'm actually closest to, the strongest relationships are those that we did not get resolved in a certain situation, but we fight for, fought for openness and connection through the unresolved relationship, and we were actually stronger on the other end. But I've, I've had relationships that because there's not right resolve with a problem, that season has defined that relationship, and we've parted. But don't let a season define your relationship. Don't let a problem and the resolution of that problem define your relationship. Fight for reconciliation with that person. A prime example in my life is Peter Lewis. Peter and I have walked now for almost 10 years together. We've had seasons where there's been issues uh, uh, where we've seen things differently. And I, we've, we've invited counsel. We did it lovingly. But, but we, just, we, just like, we just came to some different conclusions. And I remember us fighting together by the power of the Holy Spirit to maintain connection in the disconnect in that season. And through time, even still there's some disconnections, but through time, fighting to keep our hearts open, processing with people, being in community, Peter Lewis is one of my strongest friends and biggest encouragements. I, would, I, I don't know of many people I would give my life for, but I would give it for Peter. He is such a dear brother to me. And it's because of these seasons where there wasn't clear resolution that we fought for reconciliation and life and love that now there's a strength and a trust in one another because of how we walked through it. And those seasons didn't define us. Are you following me? So many of us, because of that one season, it's just defined us and there's these shades and that relationship's history and I'm moving on to the next. And I guarantee if that's how you do relationships, then you have all these relationships where you went really deep in this season with that person and you moved on. You went really deep with this person and then you moved on. You went really deep with this person and you moved on. And I think that's a lame way to do relationship. I don't think it's the biblical way. I think you're called to walk with people in the ministry of reconciliation. We gotta fight for relationships as a community, and I wanna empower us to be ambassadors of reconciliation, first and foremost, to our spouses, to our children, to our family, to our extended friends at this church, but that we stop carrying offenses around, we let go of our guard, we open up our heart to the Lord, we receive his love, and we begin to administer it to one another in the name of Jesus, amen? So I just want you to respond, and here's how I'm gonna ask you to respond. Holy Spirit, 
Who am I to reconcile with? Just ask him. This is the invitation. I'm just gonna have the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna get on the piano. I can't play the piano. Come here, Oscar. <laughs> There'd be disharmony. I was thinking the Holy Spirit was gonna hit me in faith, but it didn't happen. I was like emboldened, and then I, I can't do it. And then I locked eyes with Oscar, and Oscar's like, oh, bro. Okay, you ready? Hey, just, just for 60 seconds, I, I'm not gonna take, I know, I know we've gone a little over. Just for, for 60 seconds, if you're in the overflow room, if you're online, I just want you to, just would you, would you make your, your life and heart available to the Lord? Would you say, Lord, here I am. Is there a relationship that you wanna bring restoration to? Is there a relationship that you see that's, that's hindered my fellowship with you? Is there a way for me to experience your love in this relationship? And just lay your heart before the Lord and let him speak to you. I just feel in my heart, you stay with the Lord. But for some of you, it's someone that's passed. But I feel like the Lord, I just heard the, the phrase, bury the hatchet. For some, it's just burying this in the heart of God, letting go, forgiving truly. Oh, God. Ooh, that's deep. Come, Holy Ghost, the surgeon that you are. Divide soul and spirit, bone and marrow, in the body today. Make us one, Lord, as you're one. It was your one prayer. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hovering, 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 Holy Spirit, above the chaos. You bring order, Lord, to our lives. You can be trusted. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down. Show us, Lord. Show us how to be humble. Show us how to be meek. Show us how to be peacemakers. Jesus. Jesus. All right, so in the presence of the Lord, if the Lord has highlighted someone to you, I just want you to stand to your feet. I just want you to stand to your feet and acknowledge that I've, 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 the Holy Spirit has highlighted a person and I just wanna pray for you. All right, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So just extend your hands like this and, and I just wanna recall Matthew 5 and that this is an act of worship before the Lord. And Lord, we bring this relationship to you. And Lord, we, we are willing to be peacemakers. Lord, in your presence right now, you are releasing peace. You're releasing peace. And Father, we will make that step. We will take initiative. I don't know if it's a text, a phone call, if you set up an appointment this week, but may this message grow legs in your life and may restored relationship, restored connection, may new beginnings occur. 
I declare the Holy Spirit upon these relationships. And Jesus, you resurrect that which has been cut off and dead. Specifically, I feel in my heart uh, for, for, for uh, children, children, where there's children represented here. I just declare that the Lord is gonna meet you. The Lord is gonna meet you. For some of you, this is about sowing another seed into that heart. And the Lord says, if you're faithful to sow, you'll be faithful to reap. And so I just declare that a harvest of righteousness and a harvest of new beginnings in these friendships will occur. So may you be emboldened with courage to act from this place in the name of Jesus. We love you, we praise you, and we trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name.